Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. I saw something the, uh, uh, on Facebook, and I, I posted it. I, I want to read it to you because I, I think it speaks to this. Um, I used to be a, a musician, and uh, we sang a lot of songs, did a lot of songs, performed a lot of places, and, and that sort of thing. There was a particular artist that I really liked. His name was Stephen Stills. And Stephen Stills wrote some really good songs. One he wrote was called Helplessly Hoping. Helplessly Hoping. You've probably heard it, or whether you have or you haven't. If you haven't, it's probably because you're not ancient of days. All right? <laughs> However, uh, in that song, he spoke, he spoke about the fact that he was helplessly hoping that something would change. And he was admitting in that that he was helpless to see a change. There was nothing he could do to change it. That was what was going on in John's day when he wrote the book of Revelation. They were helplessly hoping. They had heard Jesus was coming back. Many of them had trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and the Savior 70 years ago. And they were anticipating that Jesus was going to come back right then. But he didn't. And some of them got discouraged. Remember, Paul had to write to the Thessalonians and said, no, 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 it's not over. It hasn't happened. <laughs> You've not been left behind. No, it's okay. This has to happen. This has to happen. This has to happen. So he made sure they understood you still have your hope. You just don't have it the same way. It's not hope of this world. It is hope in Christ. And uh, we, we, we're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later, too. But I saw this, and it reminded me of how important it is that we maintain our faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in the politics, not in the economics, not in our military strength or even our law enforcement, not in any of that. It's about a people who know their God. It always has been, kids. It always has been. The founders of this country knew that it has to be the people who have a changed heart, a people who have a transformed heart, or no government is going to work for them. Everything breaks down to anarchy or uh, an, an absolute dictatorship, a totalitarianism. This is, this is what I found, Red, and I, I think it's got some good stuff to it. They fear you speaking up. They fear you won't comply. They fear you realizing you don't need them. They fear you realizing that you have the power. They fear you using that power. They fear you waking up others. They fear you living your life without fear. To me, that described what the Christian experience is. What kind of power do you have? Do you have any power at all? It's easy enough in this kind of world to feel that you're totally powerless, that you can't change anything, you can't do about anything. That's not the way it is, kids. It is time we come past the fearfulness and get right into the faithfulness and recognize Jesus Christ is Lord. He is coming, and our hope is based in the confident reality of what God says, not in hoping we get some kind of utopia out of this deal. Everybody with me on this? 
Well, if you are, stand together with me, and let's read this responsive reading today, all right? Then we'll dive right into uh, Revelation 11. Our responsive reading for today says this. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Satan was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. God bless you. You can be seated just now. I want to just share with you what you just read. When you read the book of Genesis, you're reading about what happened here. In the book of Isaiah, God says, here's what I am. This is how I'm different from every other thing called God. I know what happened in the past, and I know what's happening up here. Why? I'm not in time, kids. I'm eternal. I know the beginning from the end. So he wanted to make sure everybody understood this. I am the guy who knows the beginning from the end. Now look, when I read Genesis, I understand that's how the world came to be. I don't question it. That's how the world came to be. What's the science involved in it? Not science involved in it. I don't know what the science involved in it. He didn't tell me that. He was the only eyewitness who was there, and he told Moses, write this down, this is the way I did it. I believe that. And when I look and see about an Abraham guy, I know there was an Abraham guy. And I know there was all these other people that's talked about in this book. I look at it and I I go back, I'm sure of that. Kids, I'm sure because that's already a confirmed history. What you just read is about here. And you're standing about here. And he told you, What's happening right there? I want you to know this. It's as sure right there as it was right over here, right here with Abraham, and right here with David, and right here with Isaiah, and right here with Jesus, and right, you following me? Do you realize what a blessed people you are? You just saw the future written as history. (laughs) He's standing outside here saying, here's what happened. It hasn't happened to us in time. But he's telling you what happened out here. (laughs) And he's saying it. See what happened? Past tense. That's why you have hope. That's why you have confidence. I told my Sunday school class, I'm going to tell you this too. I, this, I, I remember laughing about this, thinking what a great deal this was. Don Schroeder was a missionary to Ecuador. Uh, he, he worked with uh, the big, big uh, HCJB radio down there, big shortwave radio that broadcasts all around the world, and he was working down there. But Don Schroeder was an incurable Cardinals fan. Oh, 
I mean, this guy was absorbed with it. He loved the Cardinals. But while he's in Ecuador, the Cardinals qualified for the World Series. And Don knew he could not see the World Series in Ecuador. So he asked some people in the United States, could you make a recording of the World Series? So there were kind people who went and recorded all the games of the World Series. And it was a great series. It was one of those nail-biter series. Don heard that the Cardinals won the series, even though he hadn't seen it. They shipped him. Um, I'll say tapes. If, if you're not old enough, you don't even have a clue what I'm talking about. Back, back before, when it wasn't on this or it came magically through the air, it was on a, a, a disc. <laughs> I think even now, I think a disc? That's not a disc. It was a box that was like so big. And it was eight track and all kinds. There was, there was all kinds of these tapes, right? So Don gets to watch the World Series. And he's down here and he said, I was fully involved with the whole series. I was involved with every play. I was involved with every double play. I was involved with every single. I was involved with every strikeout. And he said, I'd get myself all excited and I'd talk about it. Change the pitcher. That was a strike. What do they do this for? What's the matter? And then he said, and then I'd sit back and go, I already know the Cardinals won. That's hope. That's hope. He wasn't down there hoping the Cardinals win, wishing the Cardinals win. He was down there knowing the Cardinals had won. What you're reading today is knowing what happened. You have confidence today. You've already seen the last. You you know who wins. And what he's doing, he's telling you stuff in the future as if it's past tense, okay? Look with me, Revelation chapter 11, and let's pick up at verse 15. Here's what it says. Then the seventh angel sounded. Now, kids, I want you to get this. Uh, I'm going to reduce the stage now. The stage is now seven years. It's not all of history. It's seven years, and it starts right about here, and this is three and a half years. And then this goes to about here. Out there, this seven-year period begins. Here, the Antichrist reveals himself for who he is and uh, creates this thing called the abomination of desolation. He, he pronounces himself to be God, and that's the middle of the tribulation. And from that point on, if it hasn't been bad before, it is going to be bad now. This is the time that's called Jacob's Trouble, This is the time that's called the Great Tribulation. It's the last three and a half years. And this is where the trumpet is being blown. This is the seventh angel that's blowing the trumpet. And from here on, all the things that are going to come from that seventh trumpet are happening right here. But there are chapters you're going to look at that are talking to you about here, these first three and a half years. There are chapters that are going to speak to you about things that happen to work our way up to those three and a half years. Everybody with me so far? All right. So the seventh angel sounded, and here's what happened. 
And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. All right? Now, let's get, let's get our timing kind of here. Seventh year is again. This angel is sounding about here. In other words, the Antichrist has already shown himself, and great, great persecution has broken out. He was persecuting already up here in the first three and a half years, but now he is pursuing with vengeance. We'll, we'll see that when we get to Revelation 12. He's pursuing with a vengeance that all, anybody that's named the name of Christ, if you don't have the mark of the beast on you, he's killing you. That's how serious this is. And if that's not serious enough, you have God now unfolding these angels, or unfolding all these trumpets, and with the trumpets, there's all of the disasters that are taking place with that. And it's about to get worse. No wonder Jesus would say, if the Lord hadn't cut those days short, no one would have survived. Because this is, this is going to be a devastating killing time, all right? More than there ever has been before. It's going to be the amazing thing is that anybody survives at all. But there will be survivors, and we'll come back to that at another time. So this trumpet is sounding right here. Now, the loud voices are saying something that happened up here at Jesus coming back. They're saying that's already happened in their estimation. Why? Because they're not standing in time, kids. They're sitting out here in eternity with God Almighty. And for them, what's future has already happened. Everybody with me? And you're getting to read that. You're getting to see that. All right. Rich, I was pointing that time, and I, I realized I should not have done that. All right. Go. Loud voices in heaven pronounce the transfer of all earthly kingdoms to the kingdom of Christ. So that's your first one there. Uh, let's, let's get the picture. As you look at this, it's difficult to tell. You, you may have in uh, verse 15, you may have a little um, uh, asterisk or something with a note out to the side where it says the kingdoms of this world. You may have a little note out the side there, and it may just say kingdom, singular. It is, uh, in the text that I look at, all the Greek texts I look at, it is kingdom, singular. There's only one place where it's found as kingdoms, plural, and I think that was written largely because it couldn't figure out how do you have a single kingdom. Because in God's estimation, there haven't been multiple kingdoms. There is one kingdom of the earth. He created that kingdom of the earth. And Satan usurped the authority of the kingdom of earth. Now, it may have lots of little uh, um, uh, branches to it, lots of little conquerors here, little conquerors there, little uh, kings here, little kings there, that sort of thing. Uh, 
They have a lot of that with it, but it's one kingdom. And that one kingdom has been united under the God of this age, the one we call the Satan. It has been that one who that all those nations have been under. And these guys are announcing, as soon as that seventh angel sounded, these guys, whoever they are, are announcing that the kingdom of the world has been transferred to the kingdom of Christ. It's already happened. Now, kids, if you were reading this, you would be helplessly hoping because John is where and why. John is on the island of Patmos because there is a major persecution against the church. So if you were one of those that was living in the circumstances of that day, you would be in a very confused state. Christ didn't come when we thought he was going to come. And in addition, the whole world's gone nuts and killing us. We don't have any hope left. John gets to write this letter so that he says, hey, Don, you want to know about the World Series? We won. You want to see how it happened? Hang with me. I'll show you the game. I'll show you everything that went down through here. But it happened already. I get goosebumps when I think about this stuff. What an amazing God. Okay, all right. Look, the voices are not identified, but their location is the holy purity of heaven. Look with me at verse 15. And there were loud voices where? In heaven. In heaven. What can I know about what's, what's in heaven? There's no impurity there. So whoever these voices are, they are pure. And if I can say, I'm going to guess and surmise this is the divine counsel. Why? Because they're the ones who make decrees. If you remember, it was a member of the divine council called a watcher who came down to Nebuchadnezzar. And he gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream about a tree. And this tree is going to be cut down. I mean, the tree had all the uh, birds of the air in it. it was, everybody was shadowed underneath it. it. It covered so much territory. And Nebuchadnezzar was said to be that tree. That your kingdom has reached out and everybody is enjoying what your kingdom's doing. Okay? But Nebuchadnezzar was going to say something about his kingdom, about what he had done about the Babylon he had made. And the watchers said, because of what you've said, this kingdom will be pulled from you, and for seven years, you're going to look like a beast. You're going to live like a beast. The watchers decreed that. This divine council decreed that. Then God said, yea, verily, I agree. And God decreed that Nebuchadnezzar would do that. Everybody, everybody see where I'm at? So you have a divine council that makes a decree, and you have God agreeing with that decree. He's the one who makes it. Uh, This decree works the same way with when it was Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king, and God said, I've decreed that Ahab dies. That's the decree. That's the big word that God's going to say. Then he says to the council, who will tell me how he's going to die? Oh. 
know, this one said that, and this one said that, another one said this, another one said that. And finally one said, I will. I've got a plan. I'll be a lying spirit in the voice of his prophets. And he'll listen to that lying spirit, and he'll go out to the battlefield, and he'll die on the battlefield. That was the divine counsel's idea. God decreed the man's going to die. It wasn't a question of, does was Ahab die or not die? God decreed he's going to die. The council made a decision on a way he could die. And God decreed that is the way it will happen. You follow where I'm coming from? And that's what I think is happening here exactly. You have these loud voices that are saying, the, kingdoms of this, the kingdom of this world has been transferred to the kingdom of our Christ. That's what is happening with this one. So let's go on. Number two in our outline, uh, identifying the kings of this world. Uh, Revelation 17 tells us a whole lot. So when we get to Revelation 17, we'll do a lot more detail and in-depth stuff. Revelation 17 tells us about the cruelty of one called Babylon. She is said to be the mother of harlotry. She's said to be the one who motivates kings to conquer worlds. He's the one that motivates, she's the one that motivates kings to conquer nations and uh, enslave people and steal their materials, steal their lands, steal their lives, and make uh, merchandise of those things. So there's, a, there's the cruelty of Babylon. And if I can say it this way, Babylon has been the one that's been in charge of this world for millennia, as far back as Nimrod is concerned, for that's where Babylon came from. Nimrod created Babylon, and Babylon has been that way ever since. And all the kingdoms of the world since that time have been under the guise of this one, Babylon. So it's a cruelty. There's been the violence of the kingdoms. A lot of things have happened in each of those kingdoms. They've been deadly. They've ruined the land. Because it's hard to have battles on land that you're blowing up or you're spilling blood on or you're taking people away from filling, doing their crops and that sort of thing. So the land suffered because of those. There's been the usurpation of power and authority. They are imitating the kingdom of God. Listen, every one of us, since we've been in the garden, we have a desire to be back in the garden. We have a desire to have that kingdom lived out in us. That's a part of what putting eternity in our hearts is all about, according to Ecclesiastes 3. He's put that desire in us that we could see that. So we long for some kind of utopia. That's what was happening all the way back here at Babylon, or the, yeah, the Tower of Babel. That's what was happening there. They're wanting to create the kingdom of God on their own terms. And all the nations since that time are trying to be, create the kingdom of God or the garden or whatever other things you want to call it on their own terms. Now, if you can follow where we're going with this, they are doing things for their own glory, for their own people, for their own satisfaction, for their own relief. Everybody follow that? And God is out of the picture. It is only right that God would call those nations up for judgment someday for all the ways in which you have gone against me. You have determined to make the kingdom of God your own by yourself without me in it. This is my world. I created this world. I created it for you to use, but you've created it for, you have reused it for your own power and thought. 
Let me go on further with you. There's the universality. Listen to what it says here. It's the kingdoms of this world. And that world is the word cosmos. And cosmos includes more than just the earth. If I can say this, God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son. Now, it's easy enough for us to plug in there, God so loved people that he gave his only begotten son. Stop. He loved the cosmos, not just people. People are a problem in the cosmos. He loved what he made. Remember what he said here on day seven? He's going to rest here. Why? Because everything is very good. This is his, and he made it to be very good. It's the cosmos. It covers sun, moon, stars, all the planets, all of space out there. It covers everything. He so loved that which he made here that he gave his only begotten son. Now it's going to be a human thing that comes in that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Because you've got to save the humans out of the thing before you can save the rest. Romans chapter 8 says the rest is going to be saved when the humans are saved. Everybody with me? If you are, go like this. Yeah, okay. All right. Good, good. All right. Number three in our outline. There's an unusual title of ownership. Notice with me here. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Our Lord and his Christ. Who's he speaking about? That's father and son. That's father and son. In the scriptures, uh, in the Old Testament, when it speaks of the Lord, it's speaking primarily of the father. It's not that the son didn't exist. The son does exist. But the son and the father are ruling this kingdom together. If you remember, the son's going to rule the kingdom, and then when, the kingdom, when that time is over, it says he takes the kingdom and delivers it back to his father. So it belongs to his father. So that's why you're using the title here, Our Lord and His Christ. This is back to Psalm 2 again. So turn with me to Psalm 2 just for a moment. Real quickly to Psalm 2. Here, you can see that this psalm is being looked at through all of this particular passage that we're looking here. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, our Christ. That's what Messiah Messiah means. It means the anointed one. So they're taking it against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And he shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So what the... this. 
these council members, whoever these loud voices are, whatever they're proclaiming, they're proclaiming that what had belonged had been usurped by Satan. All this that's been on the earth for all the, all the times, especially since Nimrod and on. I could go back and say the Tower of Babel and on, and I probably should. From the Tower of Babel on, all of this history of the world has been about his control over these kingdoms. Now he's saying, I've appointed my king. I have my king set up, and he's going to rule here. And what these great voices are saying was what he said in Psalm 2 is being carried out right here with Christ coming back again. So this future event is spoken of in past tense because he already said it back here with David. Everybody with me? Don't you love these time things that we go through here? I, I do. I think they're fun. Let's go. Um, number four. Consider the divine battle strategy and the tactics involved with this takeover. It's the character of God and long-suffering. Here's a great question, I think. Tower of Babel, why not stop the thing right there? Because God had something bigger in mind than destroying everything. Remember, back here in Genesis 1, he created people to fill the earth His goal is not to empty the earth. His goal is to fill the earth with a people who are given over to him wholeheartedly that in a teamwork together, they would do something on this planet. That's what he's doing. It's not his interest to take people away. It's his interest to save people. That's why he sends Jesus. Whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. I'm recruiting a people to be with me here I want this people to be with me. Listen to Jesus praying in John 17. Father, I pray for these, these whom you have given to me, that they might be one with us, that we might be together, we might ever have everlasting life. I in you and you in me and them in me and them in you, united together a people who would live out what God said in Genesis 1. That's you, kids. That's you. He's making a whole new people. That's why you must be born again. That's why you have to be transformed. That's why you can't just choose to be a part of the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. He's using people who are transformed, people who have been born again. Well, let me go a little. That's been his strategy. His strategy is not just simply to uh, militarily take over all these kingdoms. Could he do that? Sure. But that was not his strategy. His strategy has been to find a people in every ethnic group around who's going to be a part of my overall kingdom. I'm going to transform them. If they'll just trust me, I will transform them. I'll turn them into the children of God. I'll turn them into the sons of God. I'll give them a place to rule and reign with me. Let's go on further. Number five, they are announcing that the times of the Gentiles is over. The times of the Gentiles is over. It, with the, that announcement, Israel is to take her rightful place with her son, David's offspring, that is the Christ, ruling the greatest, prosperous, and last kingdom ever. And he's going to do it forever. This is the fulfillment of multiple prophecies. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 65, Isaiah chapter uh, 11. Isaiah and Jeremiah 31, 
They're all over the place. He'd already said, God will have a kingdom forever with his king ruling. He will be someone who is of the offspring of David. So these guys that write the New Testament are going to say, hallelujah. Jesus is of of the family and lineage of David. This is the Christ. All right. Let's go on to page two. That almost sounded like Paul Harvey. All right. The response of the 24 elders is humility and worship. Let's, let's look here there in verse 16. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Kids, that is saying when they hear this proclamation that's being made by these great voices, these loud voices, when they hear that proclamation, they're on their face. Now, that's not what we did. We, we get to hear that proclamation. We, we get, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the way this whole thing's going to work out. Yeah, cool. Uh, no, no, when they heard it, they know that what they've been waiting for since here, wondering, when are you going to stop this? When are you going to stop this? Oh, how many more people have to die? When are you going to stop this? And then, all those people who have been, uh, who have known God during that time, crying out under the altar, "How long, O oh Lord? How long? When are you going to stop this? When are you going to bring this to a close?" And God's long suffering just continues on and on and on. And now, when these elders hear the proclamation made by that great voices there, they can't do anything but fall on their face. Now. It's now. Everything we've been waiting for, everything we've been asking you for, all of this incense that we've been gathering for all these years of all the prayers of all the saints, it's now happening. Glory to God. He has taken over. And that's what they say. Look here what it says. They fell on their faces saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. And that, there's a reason for saying it that way. The one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reigned. They have been watching this young upstart, this young guy who is a created being like the rest of them are. Handsome? Yes. Good musician? Yes. Great personality? Yes. Lying, deceiving? Yes. They have watched him for millennia. Mislead people, affront God, And God has let that go on. And now the great God Almighty stands enough, done, and kingdoms are being transferred just like that. No wonder they're worshiping and praising. They're going to call him Lord God Almighty. Why? Because no one is as powerful as he is. This young upstart's been gaining more and more influence all the time. He's beginning to think of it. He's even convinced himself he really is what he said he was. He's now believed himself. Greatest disaster you can do is believe yourself. He's now coming to a halt, and God's doing it. All right, let's go on. There's thanksgiving with adoration and the character of God. Lord God Almighty. Then he says about him who is and who was. Um, and some, some of yours will not say and is to come. That's, 
because some manuscripts of the New Testament do not have who is to come. Why? Because it's, it's going to be that way anyway. That has to be. What they're doing here, he's talking about the eternally self-sufficient one because you finally rose up and you're doing what you were supposed to do, doing what we, we wanted you to do. I shouldn't say supposed to do. Number two in our outline under letter C, response to the enraged nations. There's long-term, ongoing, abiding rage for centuries, not merely an angry outburst. When you see this in verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. Both those words for anger and wrath are the same word. They're just different forms of it. This is abiding anger. This is something that's going on. Anybody here ever suffer from bitterness? If you've suffered from bitterness, you've understood what this is. If, if, if someone made you so angry and you're still working on that, you still mull that over every day, you still have a certain smell get you going with it, a certain look get you going with it, and you, and you can just eat you up, then that's what you know about these nations. God has been doing the same thing. He has, and if you can see it this way, because he's, what he's going to do is take his wrath in bowls and pour it out. Bowls of wrath. Because God has a cup of transgressions. He said this about uh, the, the Canaanites, that the cup of their transgressions is not yet full. All the things that are done against Almighty God by his long suffering, he just keeps in a cup, as an illustration. By, by his uh, long suffering, he keeps in a cup. When the cup is full, he turns the cup over, and that cup turning over is his wrath. Now, watch. Abraham lived a certain number of years in the promised land without ever owning anything but a cave. Isaac lived a certain number of years in the promised land without ever owning anything but the same cave. Isaac, or Jacob, lived in the same land for quite some time without owning anything and finally got transferred down to Egypt and stayed there. The whole time he was there, the Canaanites were filling their transgression cup. And as they filled that cup, there came a day when God said, the cup is full. I don't want you to think of anything they've done. When you go into that land... I don't want you to look at their pictures. I don't want you to pick up their magazines. I don't want you to pick up their uh, um, uh, videos. I don't want you to pick up anything. And he said to them, don't leave anything alive. He poured out the cup of their transgressions that was full. That's why Israel had to go in and destroy everything. It's not because God is some murderous being, because we already know he'd let them go for 400 years while that cup filled up. Everybody see what we're doing? And when that cup was poured out, Israel was told, you're my executioner, you take care of these that I don't want living on this land. They're living there by usurpation. They know it's not their land. They know it's your land. You, they know I gave it to you. They're done. All right. That's what he's going to do with this one. When he's saying the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of Christ, it's because that's what they had done. That's what the kingdom of the world had been doing all along. The kingdom of the cosmos had been doing all along, and God's long-suffering had let it go on. Now that cup is full. 
So with this seventh angel, you're going to see seven bowls of wrath poured out. That's wrath that's been stored up from the very things that people had already done. He's pouring it back on them. You'll see that as we come to uh, some of the uh, statements that are made. Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So let's pick this up. Letter A in your outline. It's time to judge the dead. The ones who in times past had raged against God and his people. So let's, let's go. He is taking everything from the rebellion that took place in the beginning all the way through to the time of the end. Did they get by with it? That's a question you're going to ask, that, that sooner or later you ask. Did all those people who lived back here in Abraham's day, did they get by with their wickedness? No one stopped them. Did these guys get by with their wickedness? Did the Philistines get by with their wickedness? Did the Babylonians get by with their wickedness? Did the Assyrians get by with their wickedness? Did the Syrians get by with their Did this group, that group, this group, that group get by with it? God says, okay, I am going to judge everybody from there to here. And they're all going to get exactly what they deserve. So all those things that you've been wanting and wondering, are they getting by with it? Why didn't you stop them? They got by with it. They died and no one ever did anything to them. Here he is. It's the time to judge that. But he said not only that, letter B, it's time to reward the prophets, the saints, and those who fear the name of God, small and great. Had they been forgotten? Some of those went in martyrdom without ever seeing it. Did, did God forget his own people? Listen, kids, some of you may face martyrdom someday. Some of your children or grandchildren may, may face martyrdom someday. And there may never be anyone to even know about it. It's a hard thing when you lose someone without, without being there. It's hard. And there are going to be those people who are martyred sometimes maybe in mass situations, like gassing them in ovens, with none of the family around to grieve it, know anything about it. Are they forgotten? Will they never be remembered? No, says God. I don't forget. I remember. And I'm remembering them. And another day... I'll reward them. And they will receive what I have planned for them. And it's, that doesn't, that's not the only thing. It says, time to destroy those who are destroying the earth. I was interested in this. As I was translating the thing, I looked here and said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Those who should destroy, those who destroy the earth. It actually says those who are destroying the earth. Not those who destroyed it. Not, it's not past tense. They are doing this thing right now. He's looking at this thing and saying, as I'm writing this, and as this thing is going on, what's happening with these, this, these elders, they're looking and saying, people have been destroying the earth. They've been taking the earth away from its intended purpose. It's been transferred. It's been moved. Whole ugly things have been done to this, this earth. 
We'll have time for that on another time, I'm, I'm confident. But now I want you to see this. Verse 19. After making these grand pronouncements, I mean, you've you got to think what it's like to... John is now sitting back in heaven again, and he's heard an angel blast, and right away, loud voices make this proclamation, It's over! Done! And then you, you've got this divine council, making, or these, these elders making all kinds of statements and loving God and pronouncing it. And John is just sitting there, wow. And it's as if God responded at that very time and said, show them the temple. I want you to see this. There's no veil. How do I know that? They're seeing the ark of God. So I don't know if it was seen completely on earth as it had been uh, when they wanted all the rocks to fall on them, or this is just something that John saw. But here's what I know. By God opening that veil and showing the ark of God, he's saying, people will now have communion with me. I am drawing people into my presence. I am forgiving. I am drawing in people into my presence. You are welcome to come and be with me. The temple is open. And kids, you've got to see, if, if, if we can put ourselves emotionally in where these people are at this time, they are under persecution. They've just heard that there is a judgment coming, and in fact, the people are going to pay for the things that they've done. And now they're wondering, what happens? What, what's going to happen next? Is God going to just destroy everything? Not at all. He said, now I'm going to do what I told you I would do. The dwelling of God is a dwelling with people. So at the same time, you have all this misery going on, all of this death and annihilation going on. You have God inviting people into his presence. And that's where he's going to have them for eternity. Today, I hope you're trusting Jesus. Let me go ahead and and, uh, share with you uh, letter B in there out, outline was time to reward the prophets, the saints. And it, letter C was time to destroy those who are destroying the earth. Letter A, number one in the opening of the temple of God, that Ark of the Covenant is the original for which the earthly one is a handcrafted model. So let's, let's look at this last section. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. That's heaven and earth responding to this great thing they've just seen. Kids, this was a huge, huge announcement. This just said, it's finished. It's over. I hope today you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what you are seeing is all future. But God's seeing it is already finished. That's where your confidence lies. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for who he is and what he's doing. Thank you for the wonder of all fulfillment of prophecy. You are awesome. And we give you praise for being the awesome God that you are. Now, thank you for what you're going to do. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, please don't let them leave this building though they can know for sure their life is secured and taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Oh God, how we need you. 
You're such an awesome God. Father, I pray that you bless these people. Build them up, encourage them, Father. Keep them strong in their hope. To know that that hope is confidence because of what God has said is true. I ask you to dismiss us with your grace and peace. And that as you do, you'd fill us with your spirit that we might be open vessels of the grace and truth that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is God come in the flesh. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for life itself. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.